people just like you have taken the brave step to do this thing we call work differently. They tell their self-unlimited story to inspire and encourage you. Another story begins now. Today, I'm pleased to be talking with Michelle Fotheringham. Hi, Michelle. Hello, Helen. Thanks for having me. Michelle is the founder of an idea in a business called Workling, and I've been following Michelle's posts on LinkedIn for a while, and I see much synergy with what she's shaping in the world and with Self Unlimited. And Workling has a mission to make the professional gig economy a little more human. I'm all for that idea. So I invited her to come share her thoughts for individuals whose workscape might include being a workling. It's a different style of work. So how about kicking us off, Michelle, with your story and the creation of the workling concept? Okay. Well, workling really came about towards the end of 2019. I had always had a pretty traditional corporate career working in-house across a range of organisations and had stepped out of that world with a young family. It's not an uncommon story that to you know, parents in big jobs can be very tough with a young family. So I'd stepped out to do some consulting and freelancing myself. And at the end of 2019, I just noticed more and more people making that jump. And when I looked around my network and I looked at the people who were becoming these corporate escapees, I could see that they were top performers that I could look around and I knew either through my direct experience of working with them or through their reputations, it wasn't the average people or the shit people. I'm not sure if we can swear, Helen, but can it's going to happen. We're, we're adult uh, on this podcast. We can adult. Okay. We can give it an M rating. I could see that they were the good people that were making this shift. And that is what got me really in- interested. On the back of that, I did a heap of research on both sides of the market. So both on the talent side and on the business side. And partway through that research, COVID hit. And the world of work has just been thrown upside down more than ever before. So some of those themes that I were hearing early on around people wanting to design their life and their work in a different way have only been accelerated in the last few years. Mm, People are stepping out of this, you know, traditional construct of work where they are exclusively accessed and acquired by an organization. They belong to an organization. Yeah, that's a one, isn't it? Yeah. It's not slavery because you get paid, but... Yeah, and people just don't, don't you know, there's a, a segment of people who don't want to work like that. They want to work across interesting projects that play to their strengths, that enable them to see how they're really adding value to an organization. So it's a very interesting space, I guess, on the talent side of the market. And then on the business side, if we've learned nothing from the last few years, we've learned that businesses need to adapt and change really quickly. I mean, you know, look at the redundancies even that have happened recently within tech. The way that we've traditionally augmented our workforce is scaling up through recruitment costs and scaling down through redundancies, probably not the most cost-effective way to go about it. And to be honest, incredibly disruptive. Mm. And a little bit inhuman, maybe too. And possibly a, a little bit inhuman as well. And the other way is by bringing in incredibly expensive, often global consulting firms, which don't get me wrong, the PwCs of the world are always going to have their place. But 
you know, there's some pretty significant pain points that, that happen around that. And we've always looked at this consulting offering as a procurement thing. Hmm. They are vendors, they are suppliers, whereas we're really starting to challenge around, let's not look at the idea of talent in a binary way. So you're either internal, you're an employee, you're talent, or you're external, you're them, you're a supplier. Let's actually reframe the idea of talent as anyone doing work within our organisation. Mm. Yes, there's different levers to pull there, but more and more there is a need for organisations to access these more nuanced pools of talent. Yeah, indeed. That's something that resonates with me because I remember in my early working life, there was a time when I was a temp and you don't hear that kind of so often, but temps were seen, and maybe it was indicative of the times, as a very secretarial kind of role in that you were just doing a typing thing. And I recall as I got more skilled in things, it's like, I want a temporary relationship with organizations because I could see some of the benefits and that I could just come in, do the thing. And in some ways it was sort of like all care, no responsibility. I could do a great job, but I didn't have to get involved in the organizational politics or all the other sorts of things. And I kind of loved that nature of coming coming in and out. And I love the possibility too of cross-fertilizing. Like one week I might be with one organization, another week another organization. And I learned fascinating things about engineering firms and public relation firms where you might look and think that's not the kind of work that I would do. And then when I got more skilled in a consulting-like thing, I, I wanted something a bit like what you're offering. It's like I'm mm. delighted that it exists in the world now. <laughs> Mostly within our community, we have people at the 15, 20 plus years. So these are seasoned professionals who have largely built their expertise and their careers in-house. I think that will change over time as the next generation of, you know, side hustles come into the, the workforce. Right now, people who tend to be stepping out as a corporate escapee or, or consultant or on-demand talent or one, one of the many things that they're called, they tend to be at that really experienced end. And the value that they can add in organisations is just amazing. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting. They are really drawn to playing on their strength. You know, your, your reputation, you're only as good as your last gig. So mm. that care factor is high. You're engaging someone to deliver an organisational outcome. They are going to deliver that. I think the level of risk-taking is really quite low because people want to do work that they shine. Mm. Not only do they de deliver these great results, but it's work that they find personally fulfilling as well. So it's a, a really rewarding type of work for people. And you're right, getting that diverse breadth across different markets and different industries just brings about, I think, just a different range of impact that they can have. Is there something when you see the types of people that have been attracted to it, that they have maybe a common mindset or a common expectation of what the working relationship is and I, I draw this in contrast to sometimes people are like oh it's so important to have a job for security and continuity and and I want to be a permanent inside of an organization and when somebody hires me I'm just so grateful that I kind of hang on to it whereas they might look at something like what we're proposing here with the gig economy like oh that's about being insecure or or you can't even settle down like you can't make up your mind there's all mm -hmm. these different kinds of ideas and notions that float around of what it is to not be a permanent part of an organization. Mm. I think the idea of job security is an interesting one that will change over time. Historically, we've always seen having that permanent job as the most secure way to work. 
but there are a lot of people that lost their jobs in 2020. There are a lot of people losing their jobs right now. So if you start to look at it in the context of a revenue stream, people are solely reliant on one revenue stream when they have a traditional job. When you have a portfolio career or you're working in a gig capacity, you might have, you know, your podcast over here. You might have your coaching you do over here. You might have your change management services you provide to these two organisations. So you can start to see people diversifying their revenue streams. Now, don't get me wrong, I still think a permanent job is, is the more stable option, but it's just interesting to look at it through a different lens. I remember talking to someone in 2020 who works in the sports industry and obviously they were heavily impacted and she was stood down and I remember her saying to me I will not find myself in this situation again where I've got all my eggs in the one basket like it this hurts yeah so it's interesting just to challenge the concept of of job security Mm. the other thing that I think is really important to acknowledge in this space and there's no use pretending that it's anything otherwise, but there is a lot of privilege that comes with working in, you know, consulting or a professional gig economy space. There's no use, you know, these are people who have had 20 years of very successful corporate experience in a typically a financially stable Hmm. environment and whether that means that, you know, they have a partner who's working or what have you. So I think there's no use pretending that that isn't a factor, Hmm, but... There is also, you know, an element of risk-taking. I think putting the financial side of it apart, but just to put yourself out there and say, Mm. I am an expert. I can come and help your organisation solve these types of problems. I can Mm. add value in this type of way. I think it it takes someone that has the confidence to to step out and put themselves out there as I was going to say as a product that doesn't really feel very mm, human at all, but as a as a human providing service. So, yeah, it can be a bold move. Well, it changes the nature too of promoting yourself because I think most people think, oh, the promotional thing is there is a job that gets advertised. I put together a resume and an interview. Gosh, that was so much work. You wouldn't want to do that more than maybe once every two or three years. Whereas in a gig economy, there's a very different way of approaching it. Mm. Yeah, and I think there's a real, there's a power shift here because you're not engaging or like, so when you apply for a job, yeah, it might be a three or four year commitment. You're signing up to do a job to work in a very contained ecosystem. Whereas when you're working in a gig basis, you are saying yes and no to pieces of work and they will say no, Mm -hmm. whether it's because they're at capacity whether, you know, often I will reach out to a workling and say, hey, there's a gig. I think you'd be a great fit. Are you interested in it? And they go, oh, I could do that. But I tell you what, Helen would be even better at that. They want the right person to go in and win. So there's this real generosity. But it's the power has shifted. It's very unusual in an internal setting when Mm. your boss asks you to take something on. You can go, no, I'm at capacity at the moment. Mm sometimes hopefully in a lot of environments there's that they can be some pushback when you just simply don't have bandwidth to take something on but that ownership Mm. and right to say no is very clear when you're working in a gig capacity it happens all the time no I am at capacity I cannot do that piece of work so there's this real power shift Mm. at the same time saying no to pieces of work if there's not a values alignment if they don't actually think Mm. the work that they're asked to do is going to have a commercial impact to the organization so there's a real 
shift in that power balance. Mm. It's a very refined way of thinking. I grew up with parents who ran their own business. And I remember there were times when the work was coming in and it was like a, a feast and you would keep feeding at the feast and not turning down the work because you know that there were times when there might be the famine. And so notionally, you'd, you, they would kind of convince themselves, oh, well, we'll take a break and a holiday in the famine moments. Then the famine moments would come and be like, oh my goodness, we don't know if there's ever going to be a feast again. We've got to keep feeding for whatever we can get. It's kind of like this ridiculousness, but they would never then take a break. And it made me very mindful. There's a, a kind of mindset of needing to appreciate it's going to be what it's going to be. I can't let my life be dictated to that. So I kind of need to make some plans for what I want to do and see how things are going to fit around that. And I wonder... Do you see people, even if they're at 15, 20 years of having work experience, sometimes there can almost be a sense of like, that's uh, too much of a risk. And I wonder, is there something that you're seeing in terms of a, a uh, mindset shift in terms of some individuals? Like, where do they start to believe they can say no? Or they, because it feels very risky to say no. Mm. I think you're right. I do see particularly when people step out for the first time, a bit of got to make hay while the sun shines, mm, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. take it all on. And I think for a lot of them, there's a moment that's like, hold on, I didn't step out of corporate life in order to work like this. Yeah. I remember talking to someone last year who was like, oh, I did my first all-nighter in 10 years. I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, oh, I said yes to this certain sort of project. It's not something I love doing. I was up till four o'clock last night working on it. Like, what are you doing? This is not actually that type of work. We have other people in the community that love that sort of work. Collaborate with them on it. It's just a different way. So I think it is challenging to get to that point mm. where you can turn the, the work off and, mm. and say no to work. And I think that's something that just comes as your yeah. confidence grows. I'll often say to people who step out for the first time, just look at what your salary was for your last internal job. And I don't know, let's just aim to earn that over the course of the next year. And that won't actually require you being at 100% capacity mm. every week of the year. That will be allowing for some quiet periods. So actually, how many days of the week and weeks of the year mm. do I need to be gainfully working in order to be at baseline no worse off? Mm. Um, and have that flexibility because a lot of our community work that, you know, they want to design their work and life in a different way. And some mm. of that is for family reasons. We've got a number of women who have had children start in primary school. They have some additional learning needs and they have had to prioritize their family. They want to prioritize their family mm. and working in a traditional job with a partner who's also in a, you know, traditional job just doesn't work so mm. they have fallen out of the traditional workforce and have been caught by this you know, professional gig economy and it allows them they have they want to do pickup every day they want to be that with their children mm. from 3 30 to 5 there are other people and we surveyed our community recently and I was actually surprised to yes some of it was around family but mental health and well-being and exercise which is kind mm. of you know i bucket that all together was a big part of it just to be able to design their life in a very different way so I think losing sight of why you've chosen to work like this mm. can result in just as much stress and burnout in fact we have one workling who's recently gone back in-house which is very rare so about 90 percent of our community mm. have no intention of returning to a job 10 mm. percent if the dream job 
comes up, they will go for it. But by and large, people do not want to work mm. in a traditional job. There was one person who's gone back in-house for a bit and he said, oh, I just got this whole gig thing wrong. I want to come back to it. I want to mm. do it again. But I got myself so burnt out. I took on mm. so much that I'm going to go in. This an excellent opportunity. I'm going to do that. And I'll come back out. I'm just going to restart my whole, mm. you know, gig experience because they got in the position that they yeah. were just overworking themselves. Well, what I love about that is it, it creates a kind of halfway solution. And because sometimes I've seen people like, I don't like this employment thing. You know, I want autonomy. I want control, etc. Many of those things you're saying, oh, what I need to do then is run my own business. And as you and I could probably have another conversation, there are a whole lot of other overheads that you probably never considered in running your business that actually come with uh, responsibilities and levels of stress and considerations that most people who are an employee inside of an organization aren't aware of. And so when they often are, which is why I understand the Australian statistics of one in two businesses that start fail in the first year is because they just didn't realize there were these other things to take on board. Whereas in the gig economy, there's an idea, well, if I want to go do the gig for a while I can and if it's not working I can go back working inside of an organization and the transition is less severe or less extreme maybe Mm. I often say to people you don't need to dress yourself up as a consultancy like we all know it's just you (laughs) doing cool projects and there are a lot of successful people working in this gig type capacity with a gmail address you don't necessarily need the website and the email address and the brand Mm. and the beautiful Mm. For some people, that's important, and I think it can help them have that confidence when they first step out on their own. And, of course, it's really important to have a position around how you add value and the type of work that you do. Hmm. But keep it simple. It's actually it's going to be your reputation hmm. and your networks that are probably going to open the most doors for you, hmm. not your beautiful logo or business name that you've agonised over for a number of weeks. So it can be kept just very, very Mm. simple. My advice to people who step out for the first time, I always say, make a list, go back through your career, think about every job you've had and who in that job was your like person you loved working with? Who was your best little work buddy? And make a list of those people and reach out to them. And that's your start of just extending your network. Now you're not going Mm. to those people going, hey, I'm consulting now. Have have you got a gig for? Of course not. Mm. You're just connecting. You're learning about the sort of work going on in the organization. You're learning about their pain points, what they usually go out to people for. And, you know, I would be investing time in that, which regardless of which way your career goes is always going to help. Mm. But yeah, avoiding those big burdensome costs is just, yeah, not important to start off. And I think there's an important that there is a kind of an investing in time because I think often people when they're inside of an organization think, well, there's the relationships I have with the people here and that's part of the job. And there's occasionally maybe some friends that I used to work with and we reach out sort of occasionally. And, and I'm very aware that when you do go working, freelancing or out on your own, there can be a sort of a lonely factor because you don't realize how much you had a relationship structure going on inside the organization sort of naturally and that when you're outside then there's a kind of a combination between am I relating with people to get the next gig or am I relating with people for a sense of belonging and community and you've mentioned community a couple of times so could you tell us a little bit more about what this community thing is going on? Yeah so when we were doing our early customer research with people who have stepped out of internal roles the number one thing that they missed was not the regular paycheck, it was being a part of a team. So 
that really got me thinking, well, what does that sense of team and connectivity and community look like for people who work in the professional gig economy? We know that that sense of belonging and inclusion is so Mm. important, not just for employees, but Mm. for humans generally. So how can we start to reimagine that in the gig economy? So we've really created Workling to be a community. We are not a transactional platform. Yes, our Worklings love it when a gig lands on their lap, but we are so much more than that. So I don't know that we've completely nailed the perfect solution here, but there's a whole lot of things that we've been trialing around connectivity within our Workling. So we have monthly kickoff sessions where whoever wants a standing invite in your diary to jump on Zoom and just connect with other real people for the first, you know, first day of the month. We've got fortnightly co-working sessions where we just jump on Zoom, put ourselves on mute, chuck them everyone up on your second screen and you just like silently work along with these other group of people so we've been trying all ideas but can be really powerful yeah it's really nice and look some people they've got their own network some people have a really solid group of other freelancers that they know but for others they might Mm. not have anyone else in their lives that work this way so it's really important now it's important for two fronts. So one, we want to provide that sense of community for worklings, but also as the view and the utilization of on-demand talent matures and organizations see this as a talent pool that is quite distinct from other talent pools, they need to start thinking about how they create this sense of community Mm. between on-demand talent and their organizations because it's very different from the employment relationship. But once we start seeing this as a bespoke talent segment, then how do you start to create that sense of connection and community back into the organisation? Because while the work is short-term, the relationships are long-term. Yeah. So my view around where this can go in the future is, yes, you have your core internal team, but you also have this bench of exceptional people that are not seen as external Mm. vendors. They are an extension of your team. And you bring them in and out as you want. Now, they're also going to be sitting on other people's benches as well. So they're not just sitting there waiting for you to engage them. But how can you still create that sense of inclusion Mm. when maybe they're off doing work somewhere else? Now, there's Mm. very few organisations who have that level of maturity around their culture and engagement for this segment of the workforce. But the people who are doing it are ahead of the pack. And it really is going to reshape the way that we organizations look at their talent strategy and Mm. their people strategy because we're not necessarily going to be looking at a workforce that we have total ownership of Mm. and I would suspect the way you're talking there and using the word community you're not just saying oh well let's just find another nice word that sounds good instead of group there's a sense that if you're in the community then there's a responsibility and a role you play as a member of the community Yeah, I think community is a bit of a buzzword whenever there's a group of people. Oh, no, they're not customers. It's a community. But, yeah, I am very intentional around the use of that word. And, look, it's not as important to every workling. It's, you know, some people have their own communities and that's Mm. fine. But for others, this is their work team. This Mm. is the team that they are a part of. That's where home base is when they don't have a home base. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's it's really important. And there's been beautiful things come out of it 
we had one workling who just stepped out of an internal role and I connected her with someone else who was, I just knew that they would get along. And, you know, yeah. they holiday, they were like going out for dinner with their families recently. Ooh. There's been all these, there's, yeah. has been worklings interviewing each other on podcasts and going off and doing other projects kind of separate yeah. to workling together. There's all of this. Um, you know, one of our worklings was in the Melbourne International Comedy Festival and we all, like, there was a group of, I don't know, 20 or so that went along and supported oh, him and watched the show. So there's, you know, it's it's very real. It's a real community. Yeah. It's not a buzzword. I, I really have no interest in just a transactional gig platform. Mm. I just think there's so much more power in, you know, what we can achieve collectively. Yeah. Well, and I imagine too, there's a sense of like, if I know some of these people and we end up being on a gig together, we're not strangers. We're, we're kind of there representing the work clean vibe. And it's not just a, oh, I know you, you're, you wear the badge. It's like, no, no, we've been already connecting with each other. And I've heard you even say a couple of times about how that so-and-so said, no, no, somebody else will be good for this. If you have knowledge of who these other people are and their skills and ability, you can have that sense of, um, somebody will be able to serve somebody here. It won't mm. be me. So maybe that gives me greater confidence to say no, because I know the person's not getting nothing mm. from the group. I know mm. somebody in the group genuinely. And and maybe because I'm in that level of community, it's not just, oh, they're a person I'm connected to on LinkedIn. I have a sense of them, how trustworthy mm-hmm. they are, what their skills are. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And there's just some really beautiful things that can happen. There was one workling who I met with I think it was even before she'd stepped out of her internal role and I said to her oh I'm very bad at asking for this but I'm trying to push myself I said before you leave your organization is there anyone in your organization that might be interested in chatting to me and you know Mm -hmm. hearing a bit more about workling and I can learn more about their thoughts And she said, oh, good on you for asking, Michelle. Like, well done. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm so awkward asking for payment. <laughs> I was having a little tiz and she was yes. very lovely. And she said, yes, there is. She wound up connecting me with someone. We had a lovely chat. Um, I learned a lot about just their views on the, the gig economy, which is really you know, all that my conversations are about. But a month later, this leader reached out to me and said, there's this piece of work. We'd love to chat to a workling. So I matched a workling to this piece of work and it was his dream gig. Like oh, wonderful. was just so excited yeah. and I wound up connecting. I'm like, the reason why you've got this gig is that this other workling connected us into the organisation. And so there's these beautiful selfless acts. I'm all about career karma. You know, you put good mm. out there yeah. and it will it will come back to you in in some sort of fashion so yeah. i really love those moments of generosity where yeah. it just results in someone doing this work mm. that they find so fulfilling yeah as we come to a close if there was somebody listening to this thinking yeah, maybe being a workling's in my future. I'm, I'm kind of wondering if that's the transition I make. Do you have a couple of pieces of advice or tips for them to either jump into this or to start thinking in this direction? Look, my advice is always just to reach out to your network and understand how you might add value. So if you work in the com space just reaching out to your network and understanding you know when are those times when the comms team is at capacity where do you usually go to get help and like I said before you're not doing it there's no hustle I don't I'm not a salesperson I don't think sales work it's just a bit of a dirty word for me it's all Mm. about relationships and listen just chat to people in your network and listen 
and learn about what your place in this professional gig economy like, might mm. look like. And also just start having a presence on social media is always my other piece of advice. Just start talking about the things that you're passionate about. Don't overthink it. They don't have to be articles that take, you know, hours and hours and days to write and then four people read them. They can be really short little snippets, but just start having a voice about the things that you care mm -hmm. about and the ways that you can add value to organisations. And it's interesting you say there about add value. I've had some people who think, oh, well, the how I add value is I'm coming to do this piece of work, which isn't the value part. It's, well, what does that work represent to somebody else? And I find there's often a kind of a switchover point for some people who've been used to being inside of an organization. They've not managed to get to the point of this thing I do, what's the value in this work? And recognizing that value is in the eye of the beholder and that I might have, I think I've done a great job. It's quality. It's got this level of strategic connection and alignment and all of these other elements to it. But the other person wasn't wanting that. That wasn't valuable to them. And so sometimes it's about understanding what the other person thinks is valuable and how what I do will connect to what's value in their eyes. Mm, absolutely. Being really focused on what's the problem to solve and how mm. are we making a difference? I think the biggest shift, particularly from the organization's side, is we're so used to designing work around time. I need someone full-time. I need mm. someone four days a week for six months. I need someone for a three-month contract. Forget about the time. Identify the outcomes. Yeah. You need someone to come in and achieve. Let them worry about the timing. If you say, look, I need the onboarding process redesigned with these particular outcomes by mm. the 5th of November, absolutely, like get someone in to deliver that outcome. Mm. So I think there's a lot of thinking that needs to happen from values and just a work mm. design perspective. Mm. The organisations that we'll make over the coming years as this talent pool grows and we have to adjust the way that we design work in order to access it, mm. that's just going to unlock so many more opportunities for people who are looking to... Mm design their lives in a different way. The one piece of advice I would add extending that is if you are an individual who's not kind of sure, well, am I a person who could deliver an outcome? Is look back over your um, life and your career. And just as you were saying before, look for moments. Look for those moments where it doesn't matter what the job title you had was. Was there something where you look and think, that was the moment. Oh, that mm. thing I did. Oh, I'd love to sign my name to that. I feel so proud of that. Or I wished I'd taken a photograph of that or kept a copy of that. Or yes. I remember when somebody gave me that great compliment. They're often the moments where you did deliver some kind of outcome. Yes. But because you weren't in an outcome kind of mindset, you might not have recognized it for what it is and yes. that becomes the great things that you want to hang to yes I can do this and that's yes. a great story I can tell and they're the sorts of work you love doing I often say yeah. to people think about the work you can do and the work you want to do yes because focus your energy into that work you want to do now sometimes if it's a quiet time you'll stretch back into yeah. the work you can do but I think it's really important to differentiate and like you said looking back over your career what are those moments and those outcomes that made not only had a great organizational impact but made you you enjoy doing it you mm. found it rewarding and that's where to start to focus focus your effort yeah michelle i'm really glad that workling's in the world helping making the professional gig economy a little more human thank you for being in this conversation with me thanks helen workscapes are changing everywhere for more goodness to change your workscape, visit www.beselfunlimited.com 